All right, here we are, Pablo with the Wild Sons uh, podcast and Sean Fai, my man. How you doing? Good, brother. How are you? Great. Um, amazed that it's the end of August here as we record August 30th, which means in two days is the beginning of a uh, season we've been looking forward to, welcoming for a while, right? Yeah, yeah, the uh, archery season for a big game in Colorado yep. starts in just a couple of days. Yeah, it's incredible. Sean, you and I have been hunting together now for three years. Um, not too long of a, of a run, but an amazing run and an amazing set of experiences. Um, when did you start hunting? I actually didn't start hunting until a couple of years before you and I went. Mm -hmm. And uh, I had had a family of hunters, but uh, had always gotten into different sports and athletics and never really gravitated towards hunting. Mostly, I think they were doing bird hunting, but never. Yeah. never. This, and this was where? Uh, Minnesota. I okay. was born in Minnesota, so yep. there was a lot of pheasant hunting and uh, things like that that went on. But we had moved out of there by age 10 for me, so uh, I didn't really get initiated into that before we left. And, you know, my, my father didn't do much of that after after we had moved. So And what led you to start hunting? Um, I'm not sure exactly. I just had a wild hare one year to uh, begin to look at big game hunting. I always was fascinated with elk mm. and uh, always loved the meat, you know, that came with it as well. But I never really was too interested in rifle hunting. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't, I, I it, the idea of going and sitting somewhere and waiting for an elk to appear and shooting it from a long distance wasn't something that, really appealed to me too much but I started to learn and a little bit more about archery hunting and what it might take to uh, hmm. take on that endeavor so <laughs> <laughs> yeah so you choose you you're back then um, choosing not to go the rifled route but instead venturing into archery hunting of elk in the backcountry in Colorado um, my experience getting into hunting was uh, slightly different. So I grew up in Colombia. I was born and raised in the city of Bogota. It's a city at 8,000 feet of elevation, but in there's no elk in Colombia. Um, and in Bogota, the city that I grew up in, we were about 12 million people. It's a big city. And so there was no outdoors in the city itself or in the surroundings. Obviously, there's plenty of opportunity to be in the wilderness in Colombia. But with an upbringing like mine, where I was very close to my mom and my mom's family and my sister in the city, but I didn't have the presence of a father who would, who, you know, knew how to hunt or camp or fish or any of those things. My dad did love the, the wilderness and the wild. He was, he actually came alive in the wild. Um, but after my parents separated and got a divorce, he was never present for me, you know, to, to bring me into those adventures. So I grew up in the city just doing the things that a city boy does. And as I grew up, I, without knowing, to, ended up taking refuge in 
behind a computer for the most part. And I developed computer hands instead of uh, having grown up in, in, a, in, the, in the context of hunting or fishing or, you know, wildlife in general. Sure. My rescue back then was uh, in my school, the school that I went to, once I got into high school, instead of taking us to like Cancun to get drunk or l that type of, you know, annual trip, they would take us to different places in Colombia to go back to go um, backpacking. And I got to know pretty wild areas and it was absolutely amazing. The places that I got to know and uh, doing that with my friends, I remember making me come alive. But once I then um, finished school and got into college and then later got married, life took a turn and, and everything was mostly about figuring things out. I realized that I had a wife and I needed to, you know, you know, figure life out and pay the bills and fix the things and get on with my career and make something happen. And and that concept of going into the wild and, and, and experiencing wild places and open spaces just disappeared completely from my life mm. uh, as a category. I ended up living in Miami. I moved to Miami, Florida. That's where I ended up marrying Juanita, my wife. And we did experience the ocean pretty much a, a lot. But that's radically different from what you're describing of being out in the mountains and chasing after elk. And it was only when I was living in California many years later, after a decade of being married, that I began to hear the stories of people chasing wild game in the, in the back country of Colorado and in the West and in Wyoming and these amazing places and watching videos and pictures of these remote but gorgeous places here in the West that my my soul began to feel, you know, the pull to go back and recover that idea of being in the wild. So for me, we started camping as a family with Juanita, with Mateo when he was very little, my, son, my oldest son, and I began to take him out by myself. And that was a season where God was giving me my heart back. And I remember experiencing his presence more strongly out in the mountains under the stars on a clear night by the fire than the way that I was looking to experience him in church. There was something that I could not understand, but I was out in the presence of God. Um, and, and, and my heart was coming alive. And so uh, more and more, I began to fall in love with the idea of being in the wild and and then watching how some of our mentors and allies um, share stories of being out in the in the back country chasing elk and hunting. And the idea just got stuck in my mind, and in my heart. And then when we finally moved to Colorado uh, a few years ago, um, the possibility actually opened up. And, and I began to ask God, would you father me into this? Would you invite me as your son to go into the frontier with you and chase elk? But more importantly, chase his presence out in the wild. Um, I'm curious, Sean, when you started hunting, what were you looking for? What was in your soul? What, what, what happened? What led you in that direction? And then what was your experience once you started? Well, I knew that there was something uh, pulling at my heart at a real primitive level. 
I really wasn't um, in an active pursuit of my walk with God at the moment. So I don't know that I really knew what that was, but mm. there was something pulling at my heart to get out there. And particularly with archery, just a, a real primitive uh, method of connecting with his creation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, going and interacting with the animals and, you know, potentially uh, putting food on the table Mm -hmm. as well, which has remained a little bit elusive. Elusive, yeah. (laughs) Right. But but there's also something in the fact that you, as I did, and right, and we didn't know each each other at the time, that we chose to go after this type of hunt, which is the probably one of the hardest hunts there is. Going into the back country of Colorado, sometimes eight, ten miles off of a trailhead where you park your truck, and then choosing a bow and an arrow to try to get to close to an animal that has developed these senses to survive over centuries now, that has a smell, a sense of smell that is beyond my comprehension, uh, which makes the odds of actually harvesting an animal very 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 low compared to what you could have done right grab a rifle drive your pickup truck to an area sit down have a few beers and wait for a deer to cro- to you know walk by and then shoot it and take it put it in your in the bed of your truck and take it to a to a meat processing place why elk why more than that why the the hardest hunt why did you pick that versus something easier versus maybe an entry-level hunt that would on-ramp you into the lifestyle and get you some experience before getting yourself into this type of epic adventure? I actually thought that I would become disenchanted with Mm. hunting if it was too easy. Mm. And at a certain level, again, I I don't have anything against rifle hunting. Um, At this point, uh, I would certainly go rifle hunting totally. to put food in the, on yeah. the table. Yeah, so I'm not against that. But I, I knew that uh, I was looking for something more, hmm. something more challenging, uh, something that would require more commitment hmm. and, uh, and that it would take time. You know, my, obviously every time you go out, you hope. Uh, that you'll run into a beautiful bull elk yep. that you can harvest and, and take mm-hmm. home with you. But I think with so many things in my life where if they came too easy, I would lose interest mm. and I wouldn't fully appreciate the experience. And not knowing really what was in store for me, you know, mm. uh, which has been a whole nother story, but. Uh, not knowing what was in store for me, I decided that if I was going to go and try to harvest an animal, I wanted to do it in the most fair and honest mm. way possible. Mm. And to me, that's, that seemed to be archery. And so uh, as you're saying that, I'm hearing uh, like great motives, 100%. Um, was that sort of the, your your way of doing things always i mean you have been a top performer in many disciplines in the past how did those activities and those seasons compare 
to the way in which you wanted to get into hunting? Was it like a radical contrast between those and this one? The motives, the pursuit of, you know, needing to be the best or wanting to be the best, which is great, but sometimes it's driven by by the wrong motives, if you know what I mean. Yeah. How was that in the past in other activities versus hunting for you? Uh, I, I think as I got older, I continued to try to find more and more difficult activities mm -hmm. to try and conquer, if you will, or and accomplish master. and master. Yeah. Um, and for me, it, kind of as you described, I found identity in that quite a bit throughout my life. And so I think I was trying to, uh, at that point in my life, I think I was trying to disconnect my identity from accomplishment, from achievement, from success. Which had been an issue in the past. So like, yeah. what was the, what were situations in the past where you got accomplishments and accomplishments and the, and succeeding in certain activities entangled with your identity? Well, I think from a front, from a really early age, um, the, some of the messaging that I received in my youth was that my best was never enough. You know, my father, super well-intended, great guy, I think saw whatever potential he thought I had in me and wanted to help me really extract my full capacity. Yeah. <clears throat> But in doing that, he would only tell me what I needed to do better. He never took time to really acknowledge how far we've come or any of the accomplishments that we and milestones that we made along the way. So unknowingly, probably to him, the messaging to me was that my best was never enough. Mm. So as a result, my efforts from a very young age, and, and you had mentioned, you know, there'd been a lot of different uh, arenas where, where I tried to excel. And <clears throat> my goal was to be the best in anything I ever did, because at that point, If I was the best, if I won every race, if I won every fight, if I made enough money, if I did all of those things, then nobody could tell me that my best wasn't enough. Mm. You know, it really wasn't for the pat on the back. I did. It's that's not what I was looking for. Was not to be put on a pedestal. Mm. I, I I really wasn't comfortable with any mm -hmm. uh, acknowledgement in that way. But I it really was more out of a prevention of somebody saying that my best wasn't enough. Right. That so I the, could have done more. Right. The trophy or the title or the whatever it is, is the proof that my best is enough. Correct. Yeah. At that point, if I, if I was the best, then that person had to be crazy. Yeah. If that's right. what, if that's what they thought yeah. or if that's what they said. Except it's never enough, right? Because once you win the title, you need to sustain the title or you need to win the next race or the next fight to continue keeping up with the expectation. Otherwise, right? They would have the argument again that the best is not enough. Yeah, yeah, it was impossible to keep up with, obviously, and everything had to be bigger and greater and more difficult each time. Mm. Uh and and the the idea that your best was enough only lasted a certain period of time too. Right. You know, that, that faded quickly. And then you had the need to reprove that again. 
just because you were lost in your identity at that point you really didn't fully believe deep down even with that accomplishment Mm. that you were good enough Mm. right yeah and what you're sharing um there is so much gold there sean for me the first thing is you're acknowledging that as men and as boys turning into men we're longing for the approval and the validation from that right and and we know that we we know that um that at the core we carry this question as men do i have what it takes and we're looking for that to answer that question and that is supposed to answer that question yes son you have what it takes look you're you're the real deal you did it you're amazing you were able to accomplish it i'm so proud of you wow i'm so right like we were just having dinner with and Matteo, my son, came to show you the comic books that he's writing and that he's drawing. And he was turning to you like when he saw you enter the house, he ran upstairs to look for his comic book collection to come and show it to you because he was longing for that. Yeah. For Uncle Sean's reaction. Right. And your big smile telling him, whoa, buddy, I'm really impressed at how well you draw and your ability to tell stories. And that's what he got for you from you. And now there may be things that he's not doing right, and there is always space for correction and guidance and advice, but rooted in in validation, in calling out what we see in our boy, and that's the role of the father or the father figures in the lives of the boy. Uh, now, you mentioned, though, that your father had great intentions. And so I love that you're calling that out because this is not about like throwing our dads under the bus or f- blaming someone else for the story that we're carrying or the wounds that we carry. But it is how even when our dads have the best intentions, we have an enemy who is called the accuser of the brothers and who is called the father of lies by Jesus himself. And his role is to take some something, whether good or bad, and twist it and twist the message to try to wound us, especially in those formative years. So I am putting myself in the shoes of your dad. He sees the talent that you have, that you have, the capacity and the potential that you have and how you get, you're going to go to big places and his intention is to draw that in you for your sake. Now in his brokenness, he may have done it in certain ways, right? Not perfect as a perfect dad, right. but in that place of um, asking of you to perform well, the enemy comes and twists that to tell you that your best is not good enough, that there, you will never satisfy or please your dad. You will never perform to a level that is satisfying for him to turn around and say, well done, I'm proud of you, you have what it takes, which is what you long, long for, right? Exactly, yeah, wow. exactly. And, and now on one hand, that leads you to accomplish incredible things in sports, in fighting and in racing and business, but rooted in, in, in fear, and in and in shame, right? I, I don't have, I may not have what it takes, or I, if I do, I'm gonna have to prove it, so that I can get the acknowledgement that I'm the big deal, that I'm the real deal, that I'm a man. Uh, spectacular accomplishments, rooted in a place of fear, rooted in in a, in a position of, in a def, trying to defend yourself, trying to prove something to yourself and to others, right? Absolutely, and in the end, still believing that it wasn't enough right which mm. is it's hard it's hard to imagine mm. but yeah it didn't matter uh if you won i think deep down still feeling 
that maybe you were a fraud. Maybe you got lucky. Hmm. Maybe there was, you know, a reason why next time uh, you won't be quite so lucky. And you will be exposed for what you really believe you may be. Exactly. Hmm. Yeah. And the fear of that. Right. All right. That fear of being exposed as, as a fraud. Hmm. Wow. And then, yes, you're, you have all these trophies and accolades, but the internal feeling is none of this is enough. I have to try harder next time. Now, by the time you enter into hunting, some of these had already shifted. God was doing a work in your life. True? Yeah. He, uh, he, he had begun doing some work on me, and I, I really had uh, come back into my faith. Um, thanks largely to my wife and um, was trying to understand really how to do things under his will, not mine, mm. and, and, and really try to find my validation from a place of sonship and really who I was created to be, not by any of my accomplishments, mm. but still not really knowing what that looked like. Mm. I conceptually, I had, you know, had been given the uh, the concept and the idea, and you hear people, oh, my walk with God, or, you know, my 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 relationship with God, mm-hmm. and I I desperately wanted that, but to be honest, at that point, I I had no idea what that actually looked like, other than maybe him sitting up on a throne right. somewhere in heaven, looking down on me, and then maybe judging. Me, just like my father did. Right. right. Which are feeling judged by, right. by him, actually. Because we learn the father as we learn father, right? So whether we know it or not, consciously, our perception of God as a father is highly driven by the way we got to know our fathers, right? We know that George MacDonald describes how it would have been better not to know father than to have known him wrong. Right. Because we have this misconception of who God is as a father based on our experience of father himself. Um, And then hunting shows into your life and it begins to pull you. And you begin to to feel this desire to be out there in nature chasing without knowing exactly why. Tell me more about that that desire, what, what drove you into the wilderness and how that maybe that first hunting experience was like. Uh, well, I've always enjoyed being outdoors and yeah. in the mountains. I, I, I feel at home there and at peace. And I, I really, really love being in his creation. Hmm. So uh, the first time I went, obviously, I I didn't know what I was doing at all. <laughs> and you know? <laughs> and um, uh, so obviously, I, I, I got a bow. I learned how to shoot it. I learned how to shoot it well. But... Mm-hmm. I had absolutely no idea what I was doing when I'm trying to get anywhere from, say, 20 to 40 yards from an elk in the wild mm-hmm. during hunting season. So if someone brings mm-hmm. the elk and like ties him to a, <laughs> ties the elk to a tree, maybe, maybe, maybe yeah. I can hunt him. Otherwise, I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. So and feeling very young and very exposed mm-hmm. in the, in that space, but using that as motivation to learn more, get better. And I still uh, didn't know what I was really looking for. Mm. I had high hopes that I was going to bring home an elk that, mm. <laughs> that trip, that trip. Oh, of course. Yeah. 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 
So I had that expectation, but uh, realized quite quickly, <laughs> right, how unrealistic that may have been. Hmm. So, was it a good experience though that first hunt? I did. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. I um, it would have been better if I had somebody to really help father me mm. in that moment and, and you know, provide some initiation into certain methods or techniques or, you know, an overall objective. And, and if someone really kind of helped me walk, walk through that with me, mm -hmm. I went out and, and uh, I went with an, another person, but I was largely on my own. So, mm. wow. And... Um, yeah, even as you're describing it, I hear the desire of the desire for something different, the desire for the father to teach the son, which again, is, it's God's design, right? And, and I'm surprised, I was surprised to see this, you know, when, when my desire for hunting began to increase and I began to read more and to explore more the idea, even before I tried hunting myself. I realize how here in the States, that's a, it's a very popular sport, but it's a sport that typically passes down from father to son, right? And I began to ask people that whom I, uh, you know, that I, had, I met along the road who hunted, and I asked, why do you hunt? Oh, I grew up hunting. My dad used to take me hunting since I was eight years old, and I always did, and I remember that when this is that, and they just go on and begin to tell the stories yeah. of their adventures with dad. And I think that there's something uh, really special about that and without knowing it that's what I was longing for too I think that my longing to go hunting was um, was associated with my longing to be part of a, an activity in the wild where my father would pass down something to me mm. that I would carry forever and that, I would, that would help me you know carry memories uh, where and I could, I remember just, just picturing that, that idea of spending time with that, where I'm the only, um, I'm the focus of his attention, other right. than the elk, obviously. Sure. But together he's teaching me how to read the land and how to track the animal and how to, you know, shoot the bow or shoot the rifle or whatever. Um, I was look, longing for that. I was longing for father to father me. And so when I first got to Colorado, I remember asking God if he would father me in hunting. And very quickly, he provided for my first bow in some miraculous ways. One of those ways that you say, oh, God is in this and it's, it's right that the things add together and you, it's not a coincidence. You clearly see that God is in it. And so got my first bow, took it to a bow shop with Mateo, with my son. He was five years old at a time or something. And a beautiful old man, Glenn, from the archery shop, a man probably in his 70s now, with 60 years of experience bow hunting and shooting uh, co competition archery too, began to father me and fathering Mateo. And I remember how my heart was swelling with joy. There was something that was being passed down from that generation to the next generation. And even though it was not my dad, I had learned enough about how about how God wants to father us that I was willing and able to receive that fathering. And so I left the shop super happy, but then nothing happened. I didn't have anyone who would invite me to a hunt or show me 
how to hunt in the wild or how to do it. So my bow ended up in a closet for a long time. I wouldn't even practice because I was longing for the next step. And I just understood at the time, maybe not yet. Maybe you have to mm. wait. Maybe this is not for now. But the longing kept incre- kept increasing. Um, I I just by chatting, I remembered the beginning of Wild at Heart, which it's been a phenomenal book in the in the restoration of my own heart. It was the first book through which God began to restore my heart in 2004 through my mentor Jim, who began to fight for my heart. And in chapter one, John Eldridge begins to begins the book, starts the book by describing an elk hunt. Mm. And here, this is one of the in this in this particular paragraph, he's describing um, how the heart has been driven into high country in the society that we live. And then he says, and that's why I come and why I linger here still, letting the old bull get away. My hunt, you see, actually has little to do with elk. I knew that before I came. There is something else I am after. Out here in the wild, I am searching for an even more elusive prey, something that can only be found through the help of wilderness. I am looking for my heart. Mm. Mm. Wow. Right? Wow. I had forgotten about that until now as we started as we started ta- talking so I had to turn around look for the book and read the quote because I think is it's right. That's what we're doing out there is searching for our hearts, looking for that elusive prey, but also looking for the heart of God and looking for a place where we can unplug from the matrix and hear his voice and walk with him and learn his ways and commune with him and allow him to guide us and to shape us and to father us. And if along the way we can bring a few pounds, a hundred <laughs> pounds of meat, that is phenomenal too. Yeah. But it's, it's an activity that has brought a lot of joy to both of us. And the joy has honestly very little to do with the meat itself. Yeah, there, well, it's funny. And as you know, uh, there was a, I think it was after this last season. Anyway, I got on a little meme kick uh, for about a week where I found this meme creator and I had taken a, f- a photo that we had of us hunting. Yeah. And it was something to the effect that, you know, three armed hikers found in Colorado, <laughs> you know, their search for elk revealed God instead. Yes. So, but, uh, and that couldn't be more true what, John Eldridge had written in that book uh, than what we've experienced mm. uh, when we've been out there. And it can only happen in wilderness. And so the, as I was just reading it, I just you know felt how true that is. Again, I grew up in a city of 12 million people. Um, and then, well, I live in suburbia and we have you know a very small, small uh, home in a very small piece of land with neighbors on every side and we live at the pace that we live here in the world but once we're out there and we have taken the first whatever 48 hours to unplug from the matrix and to breathe the fresh air and to not pay attention to phones because thank god there is no signal and we are watching the stars and the sunrise and the sunset and walking at the pace of nature that i feel my heart begins to slow down and beat at the rhythm of God's heart 
and I can I begin to hear his voice way more clearly and feel his presence way more presently more 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 evidently than how I feel him on any given day it's a very hard to explain experience and I think that I have never experienced the presence of God as deeply in a place that is not wilderness that is not the wild yeah there I I completely agree just in awe of of what that's like when you're out there but I think when we only when we slow down to his rhythm and mm-hmm. down to his pace are we truly in union with him yeah and um I for the first time realized what it was like and what the meaning behind walking with God actually meant mm. and what I found there gave me the ability to look for that and experience that in other places in my life but I had no words to put to that until some of the things that we've experienced uh, yeah. out out in the wilderness and and on those hunts. So how was that? How was that before? So I'm I'm just you know going back in time. I'm putting myself in that place where I'm I'm hearing someone describe the availability of a conversational intimacy with God. The fact that walking with him, him intimately, hearing his voice, hearing his guidance and his counsel is something that is available for a child of God, for a son of God, any day. Right? That in itself was a little outrageous for me. Right? I remember even the, the conversation and my, my pushback, but wait a second, that's not what I see around. I know a ton of people who are Christian, right? A lot of my friends from church or from the different, you know, circles of Christian community, the Christian community, and we pray and worship and, you know, go to church and whatever. But there's a big difference between that and being friends with Jesus and walking with him and hearing his voice and talking, having a conversational intimacy with God. Was that part of your background? Was that part of, you know, how you grew up or how you, you know, exercise your Christianity, if you will? Not at all. <laughs> Not in the least. Uh, yeah, no, I grew, I did grow up in the church when I was younger. and mm. um, But it was a really formal, you know, small town Presbyterian church. Um, so really didn't have any context around that and even when i heard those words somebody say oh my my relationship with god or my walk with god i either thought i just didn't understand what they meant and i hadn't figured that out yet or maybe it was for other people it just wasn't for me Mm. you know Mm -hmm. maybe it just wasn't available for me Mm -hmm. And some of it, even to hear, yeah, you can have that on a daily basis. I'll tell you now, I don't have it on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. I would love it on a daily basis. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm the holdup in that equation, (laughs) right? I'm the roadblock in that equation, but, um, it's, uh, and, but I would have never had words to put to it or an experience to really fully understand it until I went hunting and found him in in the wild. And was that during our first hunt? That was during our first, the last day of our first hunt. Okay. 
Now you had had some experience hearing the voice of God. Yeah, it, it's actually uh, a little bit of a funny story. Uh, okay. My 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 wife had uh, one day comes to me and tells me about this lady she wants to get on this webcast with and listen to who you know was prophetic and people you know were mm-hmm. had called on her and different major events during the the u.s history and things like that and she helped him out and uh i was like oh yeah dear for sure you should listen to that you know, trying <laughs> <That's> to... <laughs> awesome you go and do it you go ahead. i hope that you're not suggesting that i participate <laughs> in this thing exactly um and uh she was really excited about it afterwards um she told me that the lady who had instructed the lady she was just on the podcast with or webcast with actually lived in Denver and put on classes. Oh, and I was, dang. I was like, oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> and she says, I'd love, she goes, I would love to go. And I, again, trying to be supportive, I go, you should. Yeah. But again, I don't, I didn't even know what to think about that. I didn't know whether I believed in it. I didn't yeah. know. I didn't have any context really and and it was a little hard for me to believe honestly if it was something she felt strongly about I wanted to her to pursue that mm-hmm. for sure and yeah. you know at that point in our lives she was really leading our 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 walk back into faith mm-hmm. you know and uh I give her full credit for that and appreciation Mm. for her doing that and and helping lead me back in that. And so, and with as little as I knew anyway, who was I to even question, but internally, you know, the skepticism was, you know, completely high. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Super high level. So, um, the next words out of her mouth was, uh, I'd love for you to join me. (laughs) (laughs) And so, um, not exactly what I wanted to hear in that moment, to be you're, honest. You're being, being very prudent and <laughs> respectful. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. But it, and, and the reality is, is that it was the very, that was the very beginning of me really trying to learn what it was like also to love my wife well, yes. which I didn't know, have mm. any context around that either, mm. to be honest, you mm. know. I thought I was doing a good job uh, in the past and um, mm-hmm. uh, had great intentions, you yep. know, but I, but knowing now for sure that I was falling short in, in several areas yeah. um, as we all do. Right. Yep. So, but it was my attempt to really love her well. And so I agreed to go to these classes with her, God which, bless you. <laughs> uh, which happens to be a 16 week course. Ooh. <laughs> yeah 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 so um i really i i was really not looking forward to going to these classes but quite honestly uh is one of the best courses i've ever taken yeah i learned a ton i realized that uh what i thought was my intuition and really uh messages that 
I was receiving, I thought were just thoughts of my own. Mm -hmm. I really got a lot of context around that and learned that the spirit was really talking to me the whole time. Yeah. I just didn't know. I just didn't know it. So when we went hunting, the first time you and I went hunting, um, Mm -hmm. I was maybe a couple months into that class and there was exercises on listening to the spirit and trying to really access yeah. uh, that gifting that, yeah. that is available. And, and, and now I believe it's available to everybody too. That's totally, that, that's one that I think is really easily accessible with the right direction and kind of a little help in yeah. understanding what that is. So. Which I love that you're calling that out because, um, I mean, I speak for my own self and I speak for a lot of people that I talk to. First, the perception of number one, that sounds nuts. Right. So God talks to you. Let me call the guys on the straight jackets <laughs> and send you to the place, right? Yeah. But even within, you know, Christendom, within the, the, the realm of the, the, the life of the people of God, that sounds kind of weird which is surprising in the Christian circles, there is skepticism and doubt of the availability of an, of a conversational relationship with God in many circles. And the assumption is that God speaks through the Bible and that's it, which by the way, contradicts the Bible itself. The Bible describes number one is a book of examples, not a book of exceptions as Eldridge describes, which I love that description. Why would God give us a book of exceptions? Like, look at how I talk to my people, the people that I love, and I have done so for my, you know, the entire course of history. Too bad that is not applicable to you, right? Why would he do that? Right. Instead, what he's showing us is example after example from the beginning to the end of the Bible of what it looks like to develop a relationship with him and a conversational relationship with him in different ways. And it's unique to that there are certain things that are common to common throughout scripture but there are or throughout history but there are very unique ways in which he communicates with each of us jesus himself describes that his sheep hear his voice and follow him and so for those but but i i remember having that objection myself no he speaks to me when i read the bible that is true but the bible says that he speaks to me and i hear his voice and can follow him and shows me all these examples of how, how people can do it. And so to bring that category back into reality, that is supposed to be the normal Christian life. We are supposed to develop a conversational relationship with him because there is no way that we can learn a set of principles that are comprehensive enough to help us live life in a Christian way. And there are not enough verses that describe every single circumstance that we're going to face in life. It's impossible. It would be completely crazy. It's that, it, that is crazy. Right. But instead, what you're calling out is that there is a way to be trained and so that our, our ability to hear his voice gets developed. And so, which leads me to the other argument that I hear from a, a lot of people. Yes, I think God speaks to his people. He just doesn't speak to me. Right. Right. And that's right? and that's even for me. Exactly. I would I believed okay, if it's true, mm-hmm. it may be true for someone other than me. Right. Maybe for the pastor or for these people or that people, but it's not right. to everyone and clearly not to me. Right. Maybe somebody who has lived a more spiritual life right. 
has has been more developed and and dedicated their life correct you know to that M- not for me not for me yeah when in fact what you said at the end is that you realize how he had been speaking to you all along it was just that you hadn't learned yet how to hear and understand his voice and this 16 week course helped you begin to have clarity on that i guess it shone light on the fact that uh, at least on those agreements you had made with the fact that it was maybe not for you or whether he talked or not or all of that thing all of that was came to the light and you were able to deal with those arguments and put yourself in a position to be trained and then realize oh wow he speaks to me and he's been speaking to me all along this is amazing listening to the voice of god is a privilege that is available for every person who has a relationship with Jesus. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the benefit of that class was doing some of the exercises and being trained in what that actually mm-hmm. looked like. Going through some of the exercises the words that I would get, which I was, you know, hesitant to even speak out loud mm-hmm. because I'm like, is that just right. me? I'm making it up. I'm, yeah. Exactly. I'm yeah. making it up. That's just not true. This is my own mind. Right. I'm going to sound stupid, yeah. you know. But once you had a couple different experiences where you gave a person the same message that someone else gave them when there was no other communication possible. Uh, when you gave someone words who were behind you with your eyes closed that you couldn't see hmm. and they told you told you what was going on in their life as a result and again the it could be just an image it could be just a word yeah. it could be a phrase it could be a lot of things but the benefit of that class was having the opportunity to begin to believe hmm. that maybe this is true Maybe this is true. And then... And then we go on this hunt. Yeah, the last day of that first hunt was just absolutely wild. Yeah. Uh, but even, even before we get to the last day, I think that there were things all along. Remember the time of the creek, right? There, there were certain yeah. things. So yeah. we started the hunt. You had already been to this to this unit. You had hunted there already. You had seen plenty of elk, very little pressure, very little people, you know, very few people um, hunting and putting pressure on the elk. But when we went, it was actually, we saw a ton of hunters. We did. Yeah. Right. And the elk were not in the main areas where you had seen them the, the year before. And we began to get frustrated. We began to try some other areas that could have had elk. And I remember at the moment of this, this frustrating place, it's maybe noon or you know it's lunchtime at some point and we have been hiking all morning no success at all and we sat by a creek and i remember just like it's that frustration and and this part of the roller coaster that you go through first the emotions were ready we hunted we e-scouted the area we had actually scouted the area physically we had traveled there the week before opening day yeah and we saw the elk and, and we were excited. We we saw the wallows. We saw the sign, the elk, the smell of the elk. It was so intense that we knew, oh, this area is plagued with elk. 
we found the honey hole. <laughs> we have to come back next week. We'll hunt, you know, after a single day, we'll have a couple of elk bagged and we'll be able to go home. Uh, and that was not the case. Yeah, no, nobody told us that elk go on vacation during hunting <laughs> during season. During hunting season. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, we definitely, we had uh, several moments uh, during that initial hunt. Mm-hmm. in the first few days and uh being at that creek that day and and just listening you know yeah, yeah and, choosing to take a deep breath in our frustration and say okay we're not going to force it and i guess that's one of the key things when you're hearing the voice of god you ca- you cannot be under pressure you cannot be rushed and try to have god answer you at your rhythm at your pace you cannot force him put him against the wall to tell you the answer that you want right and that was true during the hunt, as it's true in real life. If you are thinking, all right, should I sell my house? Jesus, tell me, tell me, I need to hear now. I need to hear now. Do you want me to sell the house now? It's impossible to hear, right? And if you cannot hear no, you will not be able to hear a yes. If you're t- holding on to the way that things need to be, he's patient. He's just going to wait for you to release it so that he can say what he wants to say right yeah no and really the biggest lesson was slowing down to his pace yeah and to his rhythm and when you do Mm. you can hear Mm. and you can see Mm. and i i truly believe that when we're in our own rhythm at -hmm. our own pace he's not angry with us but he he'll wait yeah, he's patient. He's super patient. Don't worry, son. I'll wait for you when you're ready. <laughs> we'll, yeah. we'll be able to talk. Yeah. That yeah. and so that lesson right there from hunting and it, the difference between being able to slow down to the pace of nature, which is, you know, the pace that God created. It's 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 his na- natural rhythm, the rhythm that he created us for, versus the rhythm that I live typically in 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 daily life. Wake up, you know, make my bed, take a shower, get ready, run, kids to the school, come back, emails, direct messages, phone calls, go, 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 more and more, faster and faster. That is the rhythm that the world expects for us to go at. It is the pace that we typically run at. And it is impossible to listen to the voice of God and walk in union with him at our pace, at the pace of the world. And so we are in this creek and we are trying to force nature to operate at our rhythms and pretend that the elk needs to respond to us in the same way that the person that I'm texting in the morning should respond to me and answer to me within five minutes. But it doesn't work like that. There is a way that things work and God is patient. So I remember the frustration and I'm sitting there and taking my backpack uh, off. And then you came to me and you said, I think we need to take a break here. And before continuing this hike, we need to listen. And I took a deep breath. Oh, maybe you're right. And then you said, I don't think that I, I think that he is not going to reveal to us what the next step is until we are able to do what he's asking us to do now. Yeah. We're getting ahead of ourselves. <sighs> okay. 
I hate to say it, but you're right. <laughs> and we took a break. Yeah. And we went to separate places, our body, Grant, you and I, each of us to listen and to slow down and to allow for our soul to catch up to our bodies and for us to release the desire to go and find the elk and hunt the elk and just breathe. And what was it, 20 minutes? Then we came back to circle, uh, circle back and see what he had spoken and then what happened. Well, I, uh, at one point, I had heard very clearly, now it's time to hunt. Mm. And it was very authoritative and purposeful. Mm -hmm. Right? Like, okay. Yeah. Suit on. Suit, suit, suit up. Suit up. Yeah. We're, ac we're going hunting now. Mm. And <clears throat> I looked over at you and... I remember you seeing you sitting against this tree. Yeah. And your feet were just wiggling back and forth like <laughs> a young boy. Mm. You know, and I I I that image is burned in my mind because we were sitting there and you know, when you told me that um that God said I want to go hunting with my son. Mm -hmm. And your words matched the visual that I got mm. at that moment of you, mm. that you were his young son mm -hmm. sitting there ready to go hunting with him, yeah. patiently waiting with your feet wiggling back and forth. Yes. And um, so, again, it was just one of those beautiful moments where we stopped and listened mm. and just heard very clearly. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And for me, that shift... It's, it was not that I was not hunting with my dad. It's that my internal being up until that point reflected the way that I did life most of the time. This internal belief that life is up to me. I have to figure it out. If I don't force it and strive for it and make it happen, it's not going to happen. So better you know, get the pack, backpack on and haul ass because if you're not going to do it, no one is going to do it for you. And so it, it is this constant or was this constant, constant feeling of I freaking have to figure it out and it's not working. Right. And so I strive harder and it's not working. And when I followed your guide and we stopped your advice and we stopped and prayed, I saw the face of God, like mm -hmm. him as a father saying, son, that this is not like, why are you being so hard on yourself? This is not about figuring it out. This is not about you making it happen on your own. This is about you and I. You've always wanted to hunt with your dad. It's happening now. Enjoy it. Forget about the trophy. Forget about like that, that objective, that mission objective. And instead, enjoy the day with me. Let's do it together. Let's enjoy the hunt. And I didn't realize that my feet were wiggling like a, <laughs> like a dog <laughs> wagging his tail. Yeah. But it was the boy in me saying, really, yeah. dad? Really, Dad? Is this available? Could it be that you're fathering me, that I don't have to figure it out, that you have my the plan perfectly laid out, and I just have to consent to your invitation and have fun? And and that that was my posture in, at that moment. Yeah, it was it was really evident. Hmm. You know, I think as men, the more we strive, the more tense we get. 
visually, you mm -hmm. know, the energy we put off. Yeah. Visually, you can see the pressure that we're under at yeah. times. Yep. And it was so refreshing to see that mm. in you mm. because all of that was released. Mm -hmm. Clearly, I could look over at you. You didn't have to say one word, and I, and I understood. Mm. <laughs> you know, and completely, all of that had been released. Yeah. Been brought back to a, just a place of innocence. And and lacked the you know any care around yeah. or pressure yeah. that that might have existed before. Right. So. And releasing outcomes brings peace, brings just ah you can breathe again. Yeah, because it's by the way realizing that I don't control the outcomes, even if I wanted to. And so choosing to stay present in the moment, to enjoy what God is giving instead of putting so much pressure on myself because I'm not yet getting what I want. And, and in doing so, missing out on what he is giving at the time. But the flip side of that coin was, on one hand, let's do it, father and son, but on the other hand, it's time to hunt. Yeah, right? And I think that is um, what my experience has been since that hunt too. Yeah is that he wants us to use the gifts that he's given us. Yep. You know, he created you to be ambitious, mm -hmm. right? He wants you to be ambitious. He just wants to do it with you. Mm -hmm. He wants to do it in union with you. It yeah. brings him no greater joy than to spend his day with you. Mm. No greater joy, just as it is for us as fathers. Yeah. When we get to go out and and do an activity with our with our kids yep and no greater joy than to just let the rest of the world you know fly by hmm. while we're engaged with whatever activity yeah. is going on with our kids and right. i think that's with him so that was a i think a big lesson too is because prior to that I didn't want to do it my way anymore. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I'd gotten to the point where I knew that that just wasn't going to work. What worked for so much of my life no longer worked. Yeah. And I didn't want to do it anymore. I had come to the realization that I, I was going to stop doing it that way at all costs. Mm. Whatever it cost me, I just wasn't going to do it that way anymore. Yeah. But I didn't know how to apply myself mm -hmm. because... My whole life, all I had done is apply myself yeah. to the maximum extent possible. Mm -hmm. So I felt if I started applying myself, then I was taking over the reins again. Mm. And I really didn't know how. I, I felt like I was kind of stuck in the middle, mm -hmm. right? I either do it my way or I just sit around and wait, don't do it. wait for him to do it, yeah. right? Which isn't the answer either. Right. And it took a while for me to understand that, no... He does want me yeah. to live in my full glory. He mm -hmm. just wants to do it with me. Yeah. He just wants me to take time, invite him into my day, and go with him. Mm -hmm. you know? I think the best analogy that I've seen to that is probably the, the concept of a horse. A horse, you know, the most noble and beautiful and strong and powerful creature. But the power of a horse when his strength is harnessed to the use of his friend and master, 
brings the most beautiful things out, right? One thing is the the horse that is in the corral and doesn't allow anyone close by and just kicks and screams. It's a powerful horse, but his strength is underutilized, is not is not harnessed for anything good. But the horse who is using his strength in union with the with the love provided by someone who's taking care of him and then using him for good then all of that strength is used in the advancement of the kingdom so to speak in the analogy and i think that that's the that's that's the idea is not for us not to use our strength is not for us not to use the power that he gave us it is to use it but under his rule and under his authority and under his guidance and under his love and as we develop this conversational intimacy, we can be at peace and at rest, knowing that there will be moments of pause and waiting and waiting and waiting. And there will be moments when he says, execute, and it's time to go all in and exercise that strength in union with him in the service of love. Right. Not to strive and accomplish the, 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 the trophy that tells me that I'm a big deal because I don't need it. I don't need that anymore because my father tells me, but in union with him, after having received his love, his validation, and as a result of that, being able to surrender my strength to him, then exercise that strength in the service of you know, loving the people that he's entrusting to me. And I saw that in you that evening, that afternoon. We took a rest. We chose to do it father and sons to listen to his voice, to surrender to his guidance, to enjoy the hunt as a boy would hunt, would enjoy the hunt with his dad. And we knew exactly, without even saying a word, we knew exactly where we needed to go. And we were on a mission. And so we headed to this first area that we had hunted and we went all the way back to the end of the unit. And we had one of the most beautiful experiences that we've had hunting together. Yeah. Yeah, it uh, well, even leading up to that, when we got to that first grove, we had taken a break because we were a little early, mm. and mm-hmm. um, we'd, we had plenty of time just to hang out and talk before you know we headed out for the afternoon hunt. And you had noticed a hawk, yeah, flying above us, if you remember that, yeah. and you pointed it out and said, Oh, our overwatch. Mm-hmm. And even at that moment, I was like, oh, yeah, but just sure. kind of quickly dismissed it and didn't think anything of it. And it took us probably that afternoon, maybe two hour and a half or two hours to get all the way to the back corner of mm-hmm. that unit. Yep. And every time we came to a clearing, that hawk was above us. Yeah. So it had followed us yeah. that whole way back. And we had once we got back to that corner, the hawk disappeared, and I I don't remember seeing it uh, mm-hmm. for the rest of the hunt. Right. Um, now in the meantime, while we were hiking, now that you're mentioning, I also remember that I was bringing certain questions to God, mm-hmm. and that I had not been able to hear His answer or His guidance back in the matrix, back in the world. But now that we had surrender our striving, and we were walking in union with Him. He just began to download all of this to me. And at the time, I was actually about to make this decision, this transition from my previous work to my current work. 
and I wanted his confirmation and he provided all of that. He's, he, he was like, we, we had this beautiful chat as we were hiking up the mountain together oh, wow. and we were going from grove to grove and it was then and he had said, yeah, yes, son, it's, it's time, but, but let's do it together. And what he was precisely telling me is, wanting to tell me is, I want us to come back to the world and do this in the same way that we're hunting, father and son. Yeah. And I remember my tears telling you, he's, he's speaking, he's telling me, he's telling me. Yeah. He's saying, yes, this is, it's, it's us together. And you and Grant were there f for me, um, which was unbelievable because I didn't want to think about work or projects or anything back in the world. But the moment that, that all this rubble that was over my heart, like covering my heart, was removed during the, our time at the, during, uh, at the creek, I was able to hear his voice mm. and to see his face and his big smile inviting me to, of course, <laughs> I want to do this with you, son, yeah. but let's do it together. Not yeah. you striving and doing it on your own and making it happen and figuring it out on your own like you've had to do it your entire life. That's not my offer. I want your heart more than your muscle. I want to do this not, I want you to do this not for me, but with me. Yeah. And it was spectacular. And then we got to the back of the unit. Yeah. Well, and, and it just continued that, that whole afternoon, really. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and we had, we had started off trying to time the evening hunt as our stroll yeah. back across the very highest levels of that unit. Mm -hmm. um, and we probably were only about five minutes in to the hunt and I just received just this powerful voice that told me everything you need is already here hmm. and I looked at you and you know we're trying to be quiet we're hunting you know we're <laughs> trying to stalk elk and um, I told you I just received this message hmm. and you, I remember you asking me well what do you want and I had no idea. I mean, I was like, well, of course I'd love an elk, but I don't, I don't really know what this means. You know, mm -hmm. uh, I, I had no idea what that message meant, but it was very powerful, very loud voice, uh, to me. So I shrugged my shoulders and we, we keep walking. And then the message just kept getting stronger. And I don't know if you've ever had this where you're getting a message or you might think it's a thought in your head, but it's so strong that it almost involuntarily comes out of your mouth. Mm -hmm. have, have you ever experienced mm -hmm. that? Yeah. That's what was going on with me. The message was getting so strong, the same message, everything you want is already here. And I'm start, it's so strong, I'm starting to mumble it under my breath. Mm. And right at that moment, Grant holds up his hand into a fist and says, bull. <laughs> so there was, we were on, we were really at the first layer of trees on this aspen grove to our right. And there was a massive meadow on the left side mm -hmm. that across from it was private land. And I don't know, it might have been a hundred yards across and several hundred yards deep, maybe three, four hundred yards, mm -hmm. maybe. 
And out in the distance, several hundred yards in the distance, there was a bull elk crossing the meadow uh, angled away from us. Hmm. And so I remember throwing out a call, a, a cow call, and it stopped him right in his tracks. Yeah, I remember that. It, it felt like half an hour. It was probably a few seconds, but three of us, Grant, you and I, were like, you know, pillar of salt, completely stopped looking at this bull. The bull is looking or looking for us, right after the after you cow called him, and holy crap, it's happening! It's happening! Yeah, yeah, and um, you know, he started walking away, and I hit him again with a call, and he stopped and looked right at us, mm -hmm. and then he started coming in. Yeah. And we played with him a little, called him in. He got close enough to where we realized that um, it wasn't, it was a spike out, a spike. So yeah. it wasn't old, old enough to uh, harvest. Mm -hmm. So we didn't set up on it. We didn't try and shoot it, but we did. Yeah, we played it, with him for a little while, though. Yeah, we played with him for a while and yeah, call, calling called him, him in, in probably mm -hmm. within about 60. Mm -hmm. yards or so and then he tried to come around and wind us and we let him go and um the crazy thing for me in that moment is that the spirit was talking to me in real time yes and it, that's the first time even with that class that's the first time that that had happened mm. And but, but going back to the message itself, which was um, everything that you want, it's already here. Yep. What was that you wanted? Well, I didn't realize that until maybe a half hour or an hour later. Hmm. And we had gotten to the next mm -hmm. uh, Aspen Grove. Yeah. And we were sitting there just waiting for that last bit of light to hunt that final section. Mm-hmm. And I remembered earlier in the day when we're sitting there on, on a log, mm -hmm. I was praying for you and Grant to experience an interaction with the elk. Yeah. Because I knew what a beautiful experience that is. I had experienced it before. Yes. But you guys hadn't. And I had was semi-leading... Mm -hmm. You guys on this hunt. Yeah, you, you know, were the one leading, for sure. You know, um, so I just, I wanted that for you guys because we yeah. hadn't had it that trip and I had prayed for that. So I realized that I had prayed for that just earlier in the day. Hmm. So my prayer was being answered in real time. Yeah. And I was being spoken to hmm. in real time mm -hmm. and leading me right to this experience yeah. that we prayed for. Uh, and an even crazier part of that is two years earlier, I had hunted that area. Yeah. And I had been to nine different locations on that hunt. It was a guided hunt. Of those nine locations, I only marked one place mm -hmm. that I wanted to go back and we there were we ran into elk at almost every location we went on that two years prior but this was this one place 
that I specifically made a mark on my on my GPS mm -hmm. that I wanted to come back to this area. The following year, I had had visions, mm -hmm. been given visions of hunting through those aspen trees. It's a very specific, mm -hmm. you know, grove. There are these massive aspen yeah. trees. Yeah, you cannot, you know, you can not put your arms all around them. Yeah. They're huge. They're well spaced out. Mm -hmm. they're, they're, they're extremely large aspen trees. It's perfect. There's elk sign everywhere except yeah. during hunting season. Yeah. Um, and, uh, so I had been given a vision of being back there over and over throughout that year. And then that's when, uh, I had asked you if you mm -hmm. wanted to go and we ended up going there. So it was the fulfillment of that vision that you had seen a year before then. Yeah. Hmm. Yep. Yeah. And sitting there kind of discussing it and unpacking everything that had happened mm. to get us there. You know, it was, I just had come to the realization that that plan had been set in motion two years earlier. It's beautiful. And we got to experience it in real time and being spoken to in real time. And so it was really f the very first time in my life where I understood what it meant to walk with God. Mm. You know, it wasn't this abstract thought, this mm. abstract concept of how do I do that? And, oh, it must be for someone else. I felt like I got to walk with God that day. We got to walk with God that day. Yeah. And, and, for, and for Grant and I, it was a huge gift because my prayer to God had been for his fathering. And in the same way that I father my sons and I don't give them a Ferrari when they're eight, I want them to be initiated and I want them to experience sitting on my lap and grabbing, you know, the wheel of the truck first. And when they are maybe 14 or 15 and they have, they're tall enough to touch the pedals, then I may take them to an, you know, off-road location and, and let them drive a little or in a parking lot. And then when they're 15, I, I'm going to, right? And there is a journey of initiation. There is a, prog a progression. In the same way, I was feeling the love of the Father that even though I want the, you know, seven-point bull, that, right, record-setting size, that's not that was not where I was. This was Grant's and my first elk hunt, bow hunting. It was our first archery hunt. And this was perfect. That was exactly what our hearts needed to learn to to scout the area, to learn to find sign and to follow the sign and to understand the wind and to understand how to come close to the animal and to be father in that way, not direct, not only directly through the father, but through you in that first hunt. And then to experience the playfulness of calling the animal, calling the bull and having them having it clo come close to us and concealment and not lack of movement and the bugles versus the cow calls. It was a full experience. It was exactly what we needed. So I remember even praying to God, ask, asking them, like, where, where is the elk? I wanted to bring, you know, I wanted to bring an elk home. And he's laughing and he's answering, son, <laughs> one thing at a time. Yeah. Right? This is my gift to you. And being able to walk with God and look for the p opportunities of initiation and look for what He's given me and receiving what He's given me 
instead of focusing what he's not giving me, uh, draws me closer to him as a father and teaches me to be a son and, and teaches me how to father my son in the same way. So it was an incredible blessing for you in the sense that he was giving you, right, teaching you this, we can talk like that. This is real life, real time. I'm with you and I want to guide you. And everything that you need and that you want, it's already here. How is that message for applicable everywhere in life? What right. we need is him, right? right? His guidance, his counsel, his, his leading, his love. And for me to have been fathered by my father God and in great parts to having been fathered by you or by my father through you in that hunt um, and to having, been, to having been able to take those first steps in archery hunting and experience what we experienced together was an incredible blessing. Um, how do we bring that home though? Well, right? yeah, no, exactly. Because once you experience it, all you want is more, mm -hmm. right? And so then what does that look like in daily life? Yep. And um, it's as simple and as difficult as just slowing down and ha and having that conversation with yeah. him, you know, yeah. and, and remembering to do that, making the effort to do that. Yeah. And, you know, it's not, it's not easy. You yeah, know? it's Our, cultivating that relationship. Um, one of the things that is, has been really important for me is just like on the hunt to realize that the objective is not for God to bless my plants, which used to be my, my way mm -hmm. of operating, like waking up. This is the list of the things that I need to do. So I pray Jesus that you would bless my plants right. and that you would be in them and be with me in what I have to do today in Jesus name. Amen. And I'm hoping like hanging up the phone and going on uh, about my business. And when I'm frustrated, ticked off, whatever, Jesus, please help me. Come and be with me. Please help me. And it feel, it used to feel like, begging him to come and bless me when I think that he's blessing everyone else. But he, really what I'm trying to do is to choose my own plans and inviting his blessing instead of the opposite. Asking him like we do hunting, what is your plan? And I surrender myself to your plan. I ask that you would align me with your plans for me. And I trust you and I want to follow you and I want your voice to be my guiding voice which implies it's not just 15 minutes of quiet time in the morning, right. but having the awareness to slow down, as you're saying, to take a deep breath, to choose a different rhythm through the day, and to hear his voice and follow him. Not easy. Not easy, but, but available. Available, and from my perspective, there's nothing better. Yeah, and there's no other choice, like, <laughs> right? Really, on top right? on top of that, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, what yeah. else are we going to do? Yeah, yeah, no, we don't have a choice. But the, it's such a beautiful um, relationship, mm -hmm. and that is, um, I'm so thankful to have found that mm. because I always believed maybe it just wasn't for me. Right, and I didn't understand what it meant. I I thought it either didn't exist or it wasn't for me. Mm. And once you do get to experience it, 
you realize just how much he cares for you, hmm. which consequently is what we're all looking for hmm. is to be acknowledged and cared for. Yeah. Loved, loved, validated. And, yeah. Yeah. And what could be more validating than to know that your father's taking time out of his incredibly busy schedule with <laughs> <laughs> his billions of children and, and is choosing to spend that moment and that day with you. Yeah. And that is true for every moment and every day. Yep. And so what would you say to our friends listening? I, I can put myself in the shoes of someone listening and yeah, easy for you to say. Right. H how do we begin to cultivate that practice daily? I have some thoughts, but I'd love to hear yours. Well, I, I mean, for me, it was just about the willingness to say yes. Mm -hmm. To say yes to something that I wasn't comfortable with, that I didn't even know that I believed in. Mm. But being willing to risk enough mm. uh, to try. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's... Um, I believe that when we make the effort, he's he's there. He's there waiting for us. That he and there's nothing more he enjoys hmm. than us. I I believe than us asking yes. him to join us yeah. for that day. So yeah. and so I I just think it's you know we're all presented with different opportunities, and some we may not be super comfortable with just because we don't know what it might look like might feel like but just the willingness to say yes and start to step into it there's other people that uh, maybe are just a little bit further down that journey mm -hmm. uh, that are more than willing to share their experience with you and um, show you Take, help you take the first steps down that path but uh, well worth it yes yeah I would say first I guess reflecting on what you said um, our actions believe our core our actions reflect our core beliefs 100% of the time we used to say Dallas Willard and so what are my core beliefs about hearing the voice of God and you mentioned and we talked about a couple, right, that that's maybe not available, period, or that's available for others, but not for me. And and so for anyone listening, I would say, if any of this conversation is causing curiosity about the availability of hearing his voice and developing a conversational relationship with God, the first thing that I would start with is making, maybe making, breaking agreements with those lies. Mm. At the core of our heart, if I believe that God doesn't speak to me, it's going to be really hard to hear from him. Right? My my heart is shut to the possibility of hearing his voice. How am I going to hear him? And so I would start maybe with Jesus, I forgive me for not believing that you want to speak to me. For not making the time or practicing it or even being aware of that category in my life, the possibility of developing a conversational relationship with you, then I choose to break the agreements that I have made with the fact that you may not speak to me. I, I reject that lie. That's not true. And therefore, 
I reject that lie and I open my heart to the possibility of hearing your voice. The second thing that I would say is it's a father-son relationship with the father. It is a older brother, younger brother relationship with Jesus. So inviting him, Jesus, I invite you to teach me how to hear your voice. I want to be trained in hearing your voice. I want to develop a conversational relationship with you. Would you teach me? And that in itself is shifting my posture to, okay, now I want to, I'm open to it. How do I do it? And some thoughts on that would be to start small, right? To not ask, should I marry the girl? <laughs> right? Yeah. Or, yeah, should I quit my job tomorrow? Jesus, should I quit my job tomorrow? Because, right, th there is too much pressure in things like that. But start small. Um, I remember... Um, some of our mentors teaching us on this and saying start with questions of Jesus do you love me mm. and it, we're not talking about an audible voice clearly uh, even though there are a couple of moments in scripture where God does speak audibly uh, the the way he speaks is to our hearts it is where Jesus dwells it is where the spirit of God dwells and therefore we need to pay attention inwardly to the voice in our heart. Jesus, do you love me? And those questions are easier to listen, the, the answers, because we know what the answer should be. So if we're hearing a no, that's not Jesus. In my walk with him, hearing his voice always brings peace. Even though sometimes I don't, I don't hear what I want to hear. Right. Sometimes he tells me, you need to go and talk to your wife and tell her that you're sorry and the time is now. I don't want to hear that. I want to prove that I was the one who was right. But hearing his voice brings this conviction in my heart that I know even though I don't want it, it's coming from him and I need to do it. I think that's a great point, actually. Mm. Um, because there's been some very difficult... Uh, answers hmm. that I received. It's not the answer that I wanted mm -hmm. on some very difficult decisions, but have felt peace yeah. because I knew that that's, it was from him yeah. and that that's what he wanted and that I can trust in him. Yes. So I think the, what you had just mentioned about the feeling of peace around uh, the words that you hear or the inclination that you get. Mm -hmm. And for me, it's usually the first voice. Mm -hmm. hmm. It's usually the first voice. Hmm. <laughs> so if I ask the question, it's usually that first voice hmm. that I hear. Yeah. So. Yeah. The, the other, in, in my journey, when I feel doubtful about the answer, Typically, I find that what he's trying to do is grow me in, a, in an area where I'm holding on to something that I don't want to let go. Mm. And so it is my unwillingness to hear his answer that typically uh, stretches the conversation. Um, I really want to do this. And he's not in it. And I feel the discomfort. And I feel the lack of peace. And I feel the resistance to hearing the no. And... I don't know if this is what Jesus experienced or not, right? He didn't sin. He never rejected the instruction from the Father.
but I imagine when he went to the Garden of Gethsemane, he, he prayed three times that for, for an alternative to the cross. Each one of those times he, was, he would say, but if this is your will, I'll do it. Your will first and mine. I'm surrendered to you, Father. But please, if there is a way, please give me an alternative. And then he had to come back and he had to come back. So I have experienced similar things. Thank God never to the point of going to the cross. But in moments where I feel like death, I have to make a decision that feels like death to me in some capacity. What stretches the conversation is typically my unwillingness to surrender Mm. because of whatever reason. I I, I know I really want this thing or I really want this plan or I really think this is fair. I really think that I'm right. And that's the thing that that, that keeps the conversation longer. But the moment I choose to surrender it, okay, like, dang it, I can't, I can't, all right, I couldn't, I surrender. Let your will be done. Immediately that peace comes to me. Yeah. Right? Once I'm willing to go through the whatever hard step he's asking me to do, I begin to experience this deep sense of peace, which is followed by the strength to do what he's asking me to do and the conviction that I'm going to do it no matter what. Right. And, and in that moment, the conversation, the, the spirit, I feel the strengthening of the spirit, the conviction and the peace that comes from it. And then, all right, let's do it. I'm in 100%. Um, and that type of conviction is beyond human. So I know that no matter what the outcome is, I did what I was supposed to do. Yeah. And there, there's a lot to be said, too, for feeling like or knowing that you're pointed in the right direction mm-hmm. yeah. because you have the freedom yeah. then to express yourself and your gifts yep. go in, in. in that way. You yep. go, you go all in and, yep. and it's, it's almost contrary to what it sounds like. And on the surface, it sounds like submitting means restriction. Yes. Right. You know, like su- submit- topping out, throwing the towel yeah. when in fact it's the opposite. It's the complete opposite. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's a vast amount of freedom yeah. in the submission to that. And for me, what that looks like is knowing that he has me pointed in the right direction. Yeah. And then I'm free to live fully yeah. in who I am yes. and, and what he's given me. Which going back to the analogy of the horse, that is when the one who's riding it actually, you know, gives the horse full freedom to full to go full throttle yeah but enjoy in the direction that the horse is being pointed and led by the one who's actually holding the reins but in full freedom to express the fullness of his strength and the fullness of his power in a positive direction to bring the kingdom of god to bring you know goodness and love into the world yeah is the most freeing thing in the world so we need to go hunting. <laughs> <laughs> We're not far off. We're not far off. We're two yeah. weeks from it, and we are getting our gear ready, shooting some arrows to make sure that we can hopefully bring some meat back home. But once again, beyond the elk, we're looking for something way more wild and way more beautiful, which is to draw closer to God, to hear His voice, to slow down to His pace, to be trained in hearing His voice and to experience an incredible adventure in the company of amazing brothers. I can't wait. Thank you for this conversation. This is awesome. I can't wait to um, to go out on this adventure with you, and I can't wait to 
invite you and have you over for a next episode of the Wildsons podcast. Sounds good. Thanks, brother. Thank you, my man. Have a good evening. You too.